out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week is going to be slightly different because it's not 80s indie pop. This is going to be, in fact, 70s classic glam rock because I managed to track down a member of the famous Glitter Band who have recently just had a compilation, a triple CD box set uh, re, um, released by Cherry Red Records. I think this contains all the singles and much, much more of the band. And I managed to find the bassist and vocalist also, John Springate. Um, so we're going to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Just to say that halfway through the in- interview, there was a slight interruption. I had to hit pause at one stage and then it was fine. So this is it. And uh, after several minutes of casual chat with John, we then get down to the exciting subject that was the reason for this release on Cherry Red Records, which he tells you about. You'll find out that he doesn't really know much about it because he probably doesn't own the music. Anyway, look, John, over to you. Um, I don't really know, to be honest. I think they wanted to make some money, basically. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, when people do compilations, they never get in touch with the bands at all. None of none of the bands, you know, until you see it in the shelves, you know. Um, but he's, you know, it, they've managed to get some old, you know, old material that was never released in the, in, in the beginning, you know, um, and um, just pieced it together with with the the best of the well with with the albums as well. And uh, made a, a a really good uh, comp- compilation, really. Yes, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I have noticed with Cherry Red Records mm-hmm. over the years, they have sort of released various kind of other albums of yours, haven't they? So they've obviously they own yeah. the catalogue. But don't own, own the catalogue. A company called Demon owns the catalogue, and they and they license to different record companies who want to put a compilation out. So if somebody's doing a, a you know a glam rock, you know album they'll get in touch with them and demon and 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 do it that way yes and what was i mean what's always kind of interesting because obviously as i mentioned earlier you know my my formative years was this sort of early 70s and it was kind of glam rock what was your um yes what was your kind of formative moment in life which kind of made you suddenly become kind of obsessed with music because because it was kind of you know the bands that were the band you were in I think I think it'd be, it, it stems from my brother, my brother Bill, who's two two years my senior. He had a band uh, in the sixties that were doing basically shadow stuff, and um, and every Wednesday they managed to commandeer our front room uh, to rehearse. And the neighbours were great about it; they 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 didn't complain at all because it was very tuneful. You know, they were very good as a band. And I always remember watching the bass player and being fascinated by the bass absolutely fascinated and i think from that time on it, it, that's that's why i became a bass player and learning you know the first the first learning songs like the house of the rising sun by the animals um uh, you know or anything that had a bit, a bit of a bass line sort of thing yes yeah and did you and were you sort of picking up on that whole 60s vibe that was starting because obviously you know, the the fifties was very much the Elvis and Little Richard and Buddy Buddy Holly and and Richie Valens and then sort of yeah. the Beatles and the Stones. I mean, how was that kind of affecting you musically? 
I had a bit of a I had a, a good lapse there, a really good lapse because I was on the on the peak of the Beatles, and then by the time I was going into my uh, my teen years, the Who came along, and that they did it for me. I mean, they really did do it for me. I mean, I love the Beatles. There's you know no question about that, and and all that they've done. I can, I can sit on YouTube and watch it, watch you know Beatles videos for hours. But I love. I, I just really got involved with you know with liking the Who a lot and. Uh, John and Entwis was a as a bass player. He was just the most stunningest bass player. Amazing. I could never be like him, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's yeah. that's. Uh, I think that's you know. Yeah, I cross I cross two two areas there, and who were, you know, one and truly mine. I, I saw them five times actually. I, I remember one time I saw them, and that was when Brian Epstein used to hold these Sunday concerts at the Shaftesbury Theatre in London. It was an afternoon thing, and the and the support act was Jimi Hendrix. Wow! You know, it was quite a night to watch, or, or an afternoon. It was just amazing, you know, just seeing Jimi Hendrix was because he was doing Wild Thing and you know by the Chogs and stuff, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but the 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 funny thing was that that time when I saw them, I didn't think the the Who were that particularly good, and the only reason was is because Jimi Hendrix just wipe the floor with them really you know musically i mean it was amazing it was just amazing but and no, what was it and what was it like as a as a sort of young person who obviously you know pop music as we know it, it was very much in its infancy kind of the nappy phase really and suddenly mm. coming from such kind of like the early sort of bands which were all very clean cut to something within such mm. a short period of time to to this kind of guitarist must have been yeah i just wondered what it was like um I think it 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 goes down to the old song. Every generation hates the one before, doesn't it? You know, it's it, it's like that in pop. You know, at um, one time kids would wear their jeans, you know, halfway down their legs, you know, and now suddenly they're all wearing tight trousers. It's yes, just you know, it's got it's, 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 But um, when you look at the the clean cutness of the Beatles, and then they developed into just not so much flower power, but they were, they were you know sort of growing up, and I think I think they were very much the leaders in in that respect. There wasn't a revolt going on, but it was just you know that things were changing. You know we no nobody was wearing um, you know everybody was wearing jackets and suits and you know very smart you know, and then and then flower power came along and it, it totally changed. Yeah, and then we and then after that, I mean. Up to 68, 69, you know, all the musicians at that time, the stock look was the granny T-shirt. You know, uh, um, Paul Rogers is, a, is he, you know, if you want a, a prime example of, you know, rock in that time, Paul Rogers was, he had, he had the T-shirt the on the, the, the granny T-shirt and the flare trousers. Yes. And then what we did, we just went went stage further and and made it. It was still flared trousers, but it was glitter. <laughs> you know, it was just totally different. Is it poor? God, I've got a John. Can I just phone someone back who keeps pestering pestering me? I could just hit okay. this, and that's just kind of throwing my aura. Really, wait a minute. Okay. Yes. God, sorry about that. Some I kept seeing this number, but it, then it wasn't for me. Yeah. So sorry about that. Did you, were you going through yourself a bit of a phase of the counterculture and the hippie period? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you see pictures of it, because eventually my brother and I worked in the same band and we went off to work in, in Canada um, for about 18 months. We were out there from about 69, about 69, 70, around about then. Um, and yeah, we had the beards, moustaches, I mean, just looking old, really, you know, everybody looks so old when you, and in some, funny enough, in the same ways now, you know, everybody's got beards and moustaches, it's horrible, you know, <laughs> there's no, no clean cutness whatsoever. Yes. But, um, but it'll, it, the, the next generation will change all that, it'll be all, it'll be something totally different, you know. I know, facial hair is very popular at the moment. Were yeah. you, were you from a musical family? Were your parents, who must have probably been around during the Second World War, even though they must yeah. have been quite young. Were they quite of a musical genre? Not really, no. My father was in the Navy, actually. He was, um, yeah, he, he got, he got the back, back of his battleship got blown up and they got towed into Boston um, in, in the States to be uh, repaired. And he was there for like six months. So he did, at the time, he didn't have much of a, much of a war. But uh, while he was there, he, he managed to get this banjo and he brought it home with him. It was a little, my brother's got it now, it was a little metal banjo. And he, and he taught us the first chords, you know, of uh, you know, the first three chords, you know. So we played thong songs like Little Brown Jug, as I remember. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, for, and that's where, you know, we got a, a, a slight taste of it at that time, you know. Um, but, but we, we, you know, we didn't, I, I mean, I didn't develop into playing bass until a little bit later on when my brother had this group going and uh, he was playing shadow stuff yes this i and and he was the sort of role model i mean because it's kind of interesting because i've always been fascinated with the 60s and there was that sort of yeah. the way it changed and you had 67 which was the summer of love and yeah. you had that 14 hour, hour technicolor dream party ali pali and before that in san francisco there was a the gathering of the tribes in january so there, yeah. there was a lot that happened. And then, you know, with any scene, it all gets a bit tricky and a bit yeah. murky. And you had Charles Manson period and people who'd obviously taken far too many drugs and people like uh, <laughs> poor old Sid from the Pink Floyd was kind of struggling. And then Peter Green was struggling. Then, then yeah. we went into sort of the Altamont period and Woodstock. And then there was Jimi Hendrix died, Jimmy, mm. um, Janis yeah. Joplin, Jim Morrison. So there was a definite feeling that that, that marvellous, beautiful, utopian mm. vision had slightly mm. ended on a bad point, really, hadn't it? And I just wondered how how it was for you, because you must have been still quite young at that stage, thinking, oh. Yeah, I was, I was still around about 22. I mean, we're, yeah, around about 22, I suppose, 23, before I came back and then joined the Glitter Band. But, uh, yeah, I mean, most, I mean, I remember, yeah, I mean, I think Keith, while we were in Canada, Keith Moon and Jimi Hendrix died. They both died. It was such a shock to the system. It really was, you know, so so talented. You know, yes, I know, and, and had so much oh. potential, and that was. Yeah. But then, but but I realised with every scene, as you mentioned earlier, that, that every sixteen to eighteen year old wants their kind of group, and they don't really want somebody who's been around three or four years later. So, in right. the early seventies, obviously, I was that period of glam, which was fantastic. And mm. the, and looking back, you think, God, the Beatles had only just broken up, but they really yeah. felt like that was a a whole other. It was a different decade, but it was quite a different vibe and period. And it was like that was somebody else's band's yeah. um, scene. And now we have got the, you know, the glam period. And suddenly that top of the pops, as you realise, was so important with, you know, yourself oh, yeah. and T-Rex and the Slade and, and thankfully David Bowie as well, which was great. Yeah. And Alice Cooper's School's Out. So when did you mm -hmm. form the kind of the Glitter Band? Well, the band was formed um, much earlier by John Russell, who uh, was a, a trombone player and the leader of the band at the time. He um, 
he was working in uh, in Hamburg, and at some at some point, uh, you know, Gary was the lead singer, and then then he came back to do uh, some recording with Mike Leander. Mike Leander had, I think, a seven record deal with a production company to make something that was going to be a hit. And I think I think Gary was the fifth the fifth one, so he just about made it from that point of view. And was uh, and was John the sort of the musical kind of the visionary from that from that you know with the band? Um, not really, no. I mean, uh, I mean, we we all had a you know we all had our ideas about writing music, you know, because um, you know you know Mike Leander, who was our producer, he was the big influence really on what was going to be recorded anyway so we were always sort of aiming to try and get songs that were going to be singles if if you like you know um shout it out was going to be a single didn't quite make it because uh jerry and and john came up with let's get together again i think but um yeah i forgot what the, what the question was now <laughs> <laughs> i mentioned you know who was the kind of the, the person the visionary because it sounds oh, yeah. a little bit, well it was, i'd say mike 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 was very much the the one who's you know in control it was it, he was like a a school teacher if you like you know headmaster very much in charge you know very much like with george martin and the beatles it was you know it was very sort of like in control as you know somebody has to you know stay at the helm and uh, guide the ship as make, it were. Make, the, make the decisions and did yeah. the band because it had such an incredible sound to it did it gel very quickly did you feel like oh actually this is a little bit more special than some of the bands i've been in before yeah i think so yeah you knew knew, knew this was something very very different you just knew that this was like you know something that hadn't been done before but when i joined the band i mean you know, a lot of the recording had been in pro i think i I think I joined at the time when "Didn't Know I Loved You" was just just come out, and to be honest, I mean, I I, I got the gig, you know, but I really thought it was going to be, in those days, it was going to be uh, three singles and an album, and that would be it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> little did I know that it went on for about what five years. Yeah, seventy seven. It was a long run. It was a long run, but I've noticed because yeah. I mean, the decade as you know, from obviously you can tell from my age was the eighties, and I, you know, that was kind of that decade. And I realized doing these, you know, interviews that the bands have a five-year narrative almost to the yeah. week. You know, they get together, they have that twelve-month honeymoon period, they yeah. sort of get a bit of peak up, and then suddenly, mm -hmm. you know, timing seems to be everything in music. You know, that I've, absolutely. I've well, that was that was that was our aim when we went to tr when we tried to call ourselves the G band. We wanted to drop the glitter, you know, try and move forward. And the the third, I wouldn't listen to the band. For us, it was our pet sounds, really. You know, it was uh, we always thought that was a good album, and yet that sold less. It took us about three months to record, not constantly recording, but it, over a period of three months, that album got together. But when you consider the Hay album sold the most, and that was recorded in seven days in Paris, <laughs> you know, you just can't tell. And we thought that that was going to be, um, you know, but, but by then I think the, the record companies, you know, the, our record company was seeing the writing on the wall that sales weren't so much there, you know. And, and, and you're talking at about 77 when, when punk was rearing its head. Yes, you know? well, I, I think when, when, a band has been around for a certain amount of time, unless you're David Bowie, who seems yeah. to, though I have to say, reinvent. 
he, he reinvented. He reinvented. And also, yeah. you know, because he was kind of my first single space oddity, and I guess that was my first yeah. love. I realized that actually when you go back and you looked at his 60s work, you thought, hmm, interesting, but that wasn't really going to make you much, really. And we no. wouldn't remember that if it wasn't for what happened later. But, no. but you know, without he's kind of the exception because even poor old t-rex gets really you know looking at that he, you can see there's a sort of a struggle of him not really knowing what to do next so when you would yeah. you know, with, with those early years with those sort of iconic singles what was the mm. recording sessions like was it something that you just kind of thought god this is a bit of an easy gig you just go in you bash <laughs> it out that's another three minute classic did it have that vibe to it uh, I don't know really. I think the only, uh, I think, yeah, it's very difficult to assess all that because we were terribly, I don't know, uh, not uppity. What's the word? I can't think now. But when Angel Face came out, um, we, we were doing Top of the Pops with, with Gary and uh, and the uh, promotions guy came in and said, You're in at 24. And we went, Oh, okay. Because we've, we've been so used to being successful as it was up until then that it was a bit sort of like all oh, right okay you know but then it did sink in you know i mean it did but the recording process was um was quite easy because when you listen to the records they they, they uh, there's not a lot going on and that and that, and that's the art of them really you know it's the star guitar it's bass it's claps overdub tom-toms virtually that's about it really you know i think that but the one record that i think really made me think this is really good was goodbye my love there was something really it was quite different from what we'd done until then and it was it was keeping in tune with everything because it was a rock ballad it was still rock but it was a ballad you know right a, a nice a nice sort of blend there you know and um, and that got to number two for us, which was uh, which was great. It's good. Yes, and and sort of you know fast forward in a few decades into the nineties, when you heard people like Oasis, who sort mm. of slightly sampled bits of band or one particular yeah. track, did that did that feel a bit like gosh, that's that is amazing. Yeah. That's oh yeah, well, that's like oh right, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a compliment. It's a compliment. So yeah, why not? Yeah. Yes. And I know Mike, Mike Leander didn't like, he told me this, he didn't like uh, the Doctor Who thing, the TARDIS, Doctor Who, yeah. the TARDIS, he didn't like it at all. But I'm sure his bank balance did. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I guess I guess you had, you know, Oasis was on, you know, Creation Records, and that mm. must have felt quite nice because at the time they were sort of the champions of Britpop and suddenly that revival of guitar-based bands on Top of the Pops again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And with and and as I sort of said, you know, with with having done these interviews for a long time, that five year narrative, you you often sort of for a lot of bands, they kind of know that things are getting a bit tired. Did you have that same experience working with Gary that things were sort of like actually this is going to probably be the end of it? Oh, we were getting that because uh, at one point we weren't working at all. He wasn't gigging, and we were. I mean, we were sort of plodding on, you know. Um, and we were doing Top of the Pots. Top, top of the Pots was getting very stale. Everybody was, I mean, it was just really weird. The vibe was there in as much as like, you know, I remember getting a phone call from the from the office because uh, we, I think it was people like you just charted, you know, in, and they said, you got Top of the Pots tomorrow. And I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing it. I remember doing it. Um, 
and 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 also I remember the producer at the time, I was it Robin Nash, I think it might have been Robin Nash, coming down, you know, from the from the um uh from the gallery and talking to the audience and saying, This is your show, you're supposed to be enjoying yourself. You know, they just weren't, you know, vibed up at all. Nobody was vibed up, definitely, you know, and it was and, I, and it was at a time when I, I said to Jerry, you know, I think there's time for another band like The Who to come along, you know. I've got this feeling. I've just got this feeling. And it, you know, and so the Sex Pistols came along. The Sex Pistols came, came and, and sort of did get, oh, do quite a quick well, thing. I, I tell this story a lot, but I like it, so I'm going to tell it again. Uh, Jerry, Jerry and I were invited to a place called the Notre Dame Hall in Leicester Square to go and see a new band the sex pistols would you like to go and see them i said yeah okay so so we trotted down there in our best regalia um went in and there was not one sign of a flared trouser there you know uh everybody's wearing drain pipes it was like you know uh they had their pins and stuff like that the dj was playing um led zeppelin um he didn't know what to play because there were no punk records then um, and it was a, it was a night when Janet Street Porter was doing an interview as well. She was interviewing him upstairs, but Jerry and I were just you know, downstairs in the in, you know, with the audience, and we watched. And, and the Sex Pistols came on. We we saw them do about four songs, and I said I just turned to Jerry and I said, "Well, that's it then, isn't it?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> the writing was on the wall. I, I looked at that, and I t and I think within about three months of that happening, you couldn't sell us for love nor money. None of us, Sweet Mud, Susie Quattro, anybody. It was death, certain death. It was just gone. You know, unbelievable. It was very, very quick. Yes, Terrible. that is a, that is a bit of a sharp one. And did you? Yeah. I mean, because you obviously one of the most iconic front you know, singers of all time as well in, in modern music. I mean, did you, did you, was that kind of where you kind of end your relationship with Gary at that stage as, as kind of a musical kind of... Well, there was never really any relationship with Gary at all, only except when I got my recording studio, which I, I got together after, after the death of it all, because we never actually split up. That was the funny thing. There was no announcement. It just died. It just died, you know. And I'd, I'd already had my mind set on, you know, getting a recording studio, which I did, called Rockstar in London, uh, in Charlotte Street. Just a small eight-track studio, but it was busy. It was good. Um, and then eventually, because Gary was doing nothing at all, I mean, and Mike Leander, they came in to start using my studio to try and get some stuff together, you know. But the... You know, the the horse is gone. The, the, the horse is bolted by then, you know. They, they, you know. they were trying to sort of relive that moment of trying to get something really sort of glam rocky, but it, you know, it's gone. It's it was gone. gone. It was gone. I know yeah. when you when you sort of listen to the last T-Rex album, it's like it's mm. kind of gone, hasn't it? And for yourself, did you cope okay sort of having that moment of for months, you know, like being in the studio, releasing those records, being on top of the pops, having that demand to then thinking. Oh, that's interesting. No one, no one sort of warned me about this kind of experience. Or no. What was it like for you? No, well, it was okay for me because, as I say, I, I, I was on to the next thing. You know, I was getting the recording studio together. I mean, the, the, the very week I opened the studio was the week that they stopped the retainer because we're all on retainers. You know, a lot of the bands were just on retainers, you know. Mm. in hope that they would get their royalties soon, which never, 
materialized one you know one bit i mean there was there were some publishing that that, that came through but uh, like most bands in that time we were liberally screwed you know like a lot of, you know a lot of other bands I don't don't mind admitting that at all you know but uh, but now you know with the with the um uh with the with the catalogs and you know the the or the the, the setup now is we do get you know money coming through yeah, it was funny. I, I I I watched very. I thought it was very sad. I was watching that um, Les McEwen documentary about who got the millions, and uh, it's a very very sad documentation of, yeah. Well, I think I'm going to say it now, but God, Tam Tam had the money. Of course, he had the money. You know, he's sitting there giving it the. Oh, and I don't know where it went. You know. Yeah. Um, but certainly for us, we you know we we were on really bad um, royalties from from day one, you know. Yeah. Uh, was, that do, was that was that was that to do with management or was it just? Oh yeah, well they they well the management owned the the publishing the 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 the, uh, the agency for the gigs, and and the royalties everything they they had everything, you know. So. Uh, we just went on what their their say so was in as much as oh this is this is what you're getting as a royalty, but I mean we were we were going out but like most bands we were going out for about a thousand pounds a night at the time, but by the time we got to the end of that five year period, we we'd had had enough and we were staying in four star hotels in separate rooms, so that <laughs> money was just being wiped out basically you know we you know and that's that shows you just how much we had had enough we just yes but you Um, you know sort of just going back to the music you had created those kind of anthems which then sort of slightly mm. reappear elsewhere you know I remember Adamant and Bow Wow Wow that must have also felt really like god we you know you know that that being sort of plagiarized slightly I mean everyone does no one we you know invents rock and roll or pop music that must you know you must have thought oh yeah actually that's I can I can tell they must have grown up listening to our records as well yeah Oh, it's great! It's great, but now I mean, because of what's happened with uh, with Gary, you know, it's uh, everybody's in denial. You know, I mean, we don't exist. Uh, you know, we've uh, been wiped off the face of the earth, unfortunately. Yes, uh, well, I, I could imagine that's tricky, <laughs> but I do, you know, because I'm on Spotify, and um, mm. I do still play the records, and I do notice that on the Spotify monthly playlist, there are mm. millions of people who also tune in, like me, and go, "God, that's yeah. such a great record," you know. Yeah. Well, that's what we'd say. I mean, we do do the hits when we do do the gigs you know and uh, no people are there to see that and it's great it really is good but uh, as I say you know with um, it, it's uh, we, we are written out of history if you see a program about glam rock we, it, it, we won't we won't get mentioned at all it's yes I think there was a guy called Simon Reynolds who did one on glam and and there's a debate whether to include the band and it's like we well, kind of oh. have to do- oh it's unbelievable with is that you or me I think that one's you, actually. Yeah, it is, but it's one of those rubbish calls. Yeah, it's Amazon right. Prime, probably. Have you, um, uh, no, have, you, have you been involved in an accident recently? Yes, <laughs> I always get that one. Yes, that, that is a classic one, isn't it, really? Sorry, that no, one or, or your Amazon account has been you know, frozen. You think, well, I'm not yeah, sure. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, actually, I'm not on Amazon Prime, but thanks for the worry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, yeah, so how does that feel, you know, not to be in those kind of document BBC four documentaries on the Friday well, night. Well, before all that happened, there was one on Channel Four, the top ten uh, glam rock groups, and they put us at number eleven. 
What, is, what are you talking about? If anybody was the essence of glam rock, the Glitter Man was. Look at the name, for God's sake. You know? <laughs> Unbelievable. But, yes. And yeah. so and so when with with you know bringing out these compilations, has time made it slightly easier for people to say to try and divorce it? Because to be honest, in the 80s, I was a really massive mm. Smiths fan. Now, dear old Morrissey, yeah. who was just, you know, I thought he was wonderful, yeah. you know, has gone on to say some really kind of things which are a bit tricky and hard to yeah. defend in his position yes. even though you think i really like the smiths okay give me a break boy. but you know i know it hasn't turned out well do you do you have a similar similar feeling of like look can you just divorce it because if you go through history every artist and painter and writer has a yeah. really dodgy past you know let's face it <laughs> all those artists they took drugs they had unfortunate relationships yeah. with very young people as well so look you know you're going to ban every gallery do you have that kind of occasional feeling Hard to say, really. I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, the, I think the further it goes down the line, the worse it gets in some respects. You know, until until you know he passes on, it might change things. I don't know. I really don't know. You know, yes. they might, they might but, start to take notice of it. But, but they did. There was a top of the pops um, about uh, th three months ago, uh, a seventies one, and we were on it. They put us on it. Doing goodbye, my love, which I thought, thank you very much. You know, and they just did a little thing along the bottom, you know, um, about the fact that Jerry and I did the Eurovision Song Contest, you know, in uh, in 1970, uh, no, in the year 2000. And that was quite nice, you know. I think, well, thank you very much, you know, yeah, good. Yes. So. And with your own musical world, because obviously you've stuck with music, haven't you? You never had plan yeah. B on that. I mean, did you? you know, sort of being a sort of more of an elder statesman, did it feel quite interesting seeing how the different, you know, different decades shaped up and changed? Um, in what, what, in what, in what, well, what, I suppose, because each, each one, you know, has a certain vibe, doesn't it? You know, you, we start with glam, obviously there's, yeah. there's prog rock and, and um, heavy metal, mm. but then there's punk, it finishes on that. And then in the 80s, yeah. you know, we had the sort of the introduction or the, certainly the, the feeling of, um, indie rock and then you had that Trevor yeah. Horn production sound and then yeah. things changed with you had the whole ecstasy world and rave mm. and then you had grunge and then you know so you you know you started with the Beatles and the, and the very early you know Hendrix yeah. and, and the Who so you would have yeah. you know you were there and you had played your part within the, the glitter band so I just wondered yeah. how it feels when you watch all these kind of these musical kind of movements happening. Yeah, I, I I love some of the, the, the movement. I mean, especially in the eighties and nineties, uh, it was a good time for me because uh, um, I made a big decision to come out, and that didn't happen until I was thirty-four. So I was a late I was a late bloomer, and there was you know I was doing things at thirty-four that I should have been doing at seventeen, like clubbing it and stuff like that. So. You know, a lot of the music I was listening to was, you know, dance and um, I was listening to Erasure and, you know, all, all those, in, you know, sort of uh, indie bands and stuff like that. And, um, you know, developing into the 90s, 90s was a great time for dance tracks. Absolutely wonderful, you know. So I kind of, you know, feel a part of that period as well, you know, even though it's later in my life. I feel, you know, that, that, that sort of um, engaged me a lot. You know, it was good. It was a good time for me. Yes. So, uh, yeah. And and sort of going into the and do you still have your recording studio? 
I'm sitting in it right now, actually. <laughs> well, no, Rockstar, Rockstar uh, I lasted four and a half years with Rockstar as a studio, and I'd had enough. <laughs> I just had enough because I'd, I'd gone into being a sound engineer as well. So, you know, a lot of the time I was, you know, uh, recording all these bands, you know, I used to have these punk bands come in, you know, wanted to record five songs in two hours. It was unbelievable, but I'd, um, you know, but it, with a lot of the bands, you know, they would be in there for about 10 hours. And, and by the, I mean, the whole point of getting in the studio together was to, to do more uh, production work, but I, I just didn't have the time because I was looking after all these bands coming in to record. So it was, it was just chasing the tail all the time. Yes. So at the end, I, so after four and a half years, there was a, um, a, a, um, a, a jingle company called Crocodile, who I was really friendly with. We, we did a little bit of writing together as well. And, and Malcolm said to me, he said, if you, want to, if you want to, ever want to sell the studio, tell us, because we'd be interested. And I thought, right, <laughs> yes, yes, I do want to sell it, yes. So I passed it on to them, and we, we, we're still friends now. We, you know, he took it over, but uh, I'd had enough. Really, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you, and, and sort of, you know, during the, I think, was it the, the O years, you, you sort of worked with, did, was it, did you have a moment with Angie Bowie as well? Um, we did a little, we were doing a tour uh, and she was on it. I don't know how that came about, to be honest, but uh, that was very interesting, to say the least. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I must admit, I think Angie in the 80s was still quite, she had a lot of energy still, didn't she? Yeah. Oh, no, it was, it, was in, it was in the O years, wasn't it? Yeah, 2005, maybe, I don't know, I can't remember now. Yeah. It's a blur, it's a blur, it's all a blur. <laughs> and when you were, because you, you know, for Eurovision, obviously it's just kind of been and gone. I mean, you did Don't don't Play That Song Again, which was done yeah. by Nicky French. Did yeah. that, um, yes, was that a, a nice experience? That was fantastic. The best experience of my life, to be honest, that one. That was, you know, it was very strange. I, I'd written with Jerry for about 15 years and I rang him up and said, do you want to do some writing? I just wanted, you know, we'd get together with somebody, anybody, anybody really, you know. No, they didn't mean it like that. No, no, but I mean, specifically with Jerry, because we, when we did write together, it, it gelled quite well. And he came round and don't play that song again started to gel in that very first day we we, we pieced it all together and we were trying to do a middle eight and i said do you know what i said this is your revision this song i said why don't we just do a key change on the chorus and and leave it you know so it was so it, it came in because Eurovision songs cannot be longer than three minutes. So, the, yes. so with the with the key change, it came in at two two minutes forty seven seconds. Perfect, absolutely perfect. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I was thinking, well, who can, who can we get to to sing it? And little did I realize what I was doing. I was ringing Nikki because I uh, I did a track with Nikki like five year five years pre previously. It was a dance version of Total Eclipse of the Heart. Which got to number two in America, you know, three three weeks at number five over here, Classic. and a really good, a really good hit, you know, all, all over the place. And she came over. Uh, I, I, I rang her up, rang her up, and I said, "Listen, I've got this song. Uh, it's Eurovision." I said, "Could you would, would you mind demoing it for a couple of hundred quid?" She said, "Yeah, all right then." And I said, 
Do you like Eurovision? He said, I love Eurovision. I said, well, forget the 200 quid. Just come around and put your vocal on it. When she came out and ran and put the vocal on, that, that is the, the very vocal that we used on the, on the Finnish Master. And uh, I played it to Jerry the next day and I, I thought, this, this is perfect. Fantastic. And it went, it jumped through all the hoots. In those days, we had to go through the, the, you know, the publishing companies used to form committees to, um, you know, to listen to songs and then put it to, to, through to another committee, then another committee. And then eventually it ends up with being the final 20. And then it goes around to the BBC for them to have a look and see which ones they feel would be, would be right. Yes. The, the, great, the great thing about us was that we had, they wanted a, they wanted a, a, um, a video of Nikki singing it. I didn't send him that. I sent them her, sing, her singing Totally Clips of the Heart on Top of the Pops. You don't get much better than that. You just don't. You don't. <laughs> um, so we got through to the final eight. That went to radio uh, on um, um, Radio 2 in the morning for, for the final vote. Then went to the final four, which went, went to Song for Europe. And um, it was, oh, these, these kids who do the X Factor, the hoops they have to go through. I mean, that, that was just one little hoop I had to come, but, yeah, go through to see, you know, I, I, there were four, four songs in the farm. Two I knew were, were not going to make it. They, I just knew they weren't. And the other one next to us, I thought, that can't win. It just can't win. And it didn't, you know, we did. But, but you know, sitting there waiting for that vote is just... <laughs> Agon, Agon. But then, then we go to um, to Sweden uh, for for seven days as writers. Jerry and I, you know, it's a busman's holiday. You know, it really is. You know, we we're just there to get drunk, basically, <laughs> yes. um, and and just watch it all go on. But you see, I mean, even though we didn't win, I mean, we out of twenty four countries, we came came sixteenth. Even though we didn't win, I, I, I mean, I didn't really care if we won or not. It was just being there. The fact that we'd won for the UK was fine for me. It was really fine, you know. And it was obvious from the, like the first couple of votes, we were not going to win. We just knew we were. I just knew we were going to win. But it didn't matter. It was fantastic. It was a really good time. I always remember John Peel, who went and reviewed one of the Eurovisions, and he said it was a really heartening experience. He really enjoyed it, which was yeah. slightly surprised me at the time. But you know, I really, said, yeah, yeah I, loved I it. really, I really hate all these people who who the Eurovision Song Contest because it is amazing. I mean, the, 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 the production this year, it, it's been incredible. Really, really good. You know, the whole sort of, you know, uh, presentation has been amazing. Really amazing. Well, it kind of, um, you know, also taps back to my childhood where we were very excited about Eurovision. And I like yeah. the fact that it's kind of vaguely reinvented itself as this kind of, it looks quite bonkers now. So um, I, I I, I did. I did have. I did have a song in the final eight many years ago. Uh, when, when was it? it was in early nineties, I think it was. A song called "You Better Be Good to Me," and it was sung by uh, the singer, by the name of Kelly. And um, and uh, we, you know, everybody in the audience was wearing dinner dinner suits. You know, tuxedos. It's just so funny when you think of it now, you know. <laughs> it was very official, very official. Yeah, sometimes it looks very debauched, but that's rock and roll for you, isn't it? I mean, yeah. if you could have said something to something to your, say, like 16, 18-year-old self who was starting out in yeah. kind of entertainment and music, I mean, is there some things you'd say, yep, definitely do that, mm, look out or do that slightly differently? I just wonder what key things you've picked up over the decades. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's a hard one that is because you just don't know what I mean with fates and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's it. I I don't really know to be honest. I don't know what I'd say to me. So I think you know, there are a few things. I, I you see sometimes you say well. It, when you talk about, you know, when talking about the royalty situation, no, you, you, nobody was, nobody says anything. You, you should say, "Where's my money? Why am I on this money? Where is it?" You know, but you don't want to rock the boat. You don't want to rock the boat because you might get the sack. You know, you, you automatically think that it's gonna, you know, you know, not be a good good thing to say. You know what I mean? Yes, uh, and yeah. and and with the band, you still you still sort of bring it out, don't you? And sort of it's still it's still a functioning working. Yeah, outfit, yeah. Isn't we it? got we, we're Calvin Ford, who um, who's got a company called Yesterday Once More. He does um, weekends um, away, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties weekends away, um, and fifties as well. Um, and he more or less books us every year in uh, for for Breen, down in Breen in um, in the southwest for the seventies uh, weekend. So we will we'll be doing that definitely. So that'll be fun. That's always fun. That one. It's really good. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. do you find that you're still, you know, you've got your sort of loyal supporters who have yeah. grown with you? Do you find that you sort of pick up new, you know, people coming along, kind of discovering the band? Yes. It's weird. You do get that sometimes, you know, not too often, but you do get it sometimes. <laughs> Somebody who's been born in 2001 or something. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> yes, it's, it's kind of, it's an interesting thing. And obviously having compilations brought out by Cherry Red, it's, it kind of does yeah. help the, uh, the process of keeping it. Do you yeah. know how many, I mean, it's always curious, how many copies they print of these? Because I know a, there's a lot of indie labels from the 80s and they go, yeah. oh, we print. 250 and you think oh well that, that is the labor of love but do you know sort of yeah. roughly how many sales people no, no i don't know david i mean i i i don't think it's going to sell him thousands to be honest you know you know they they, they probably know their 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 market value you know so you're probably probably about 200 250 is probably about right you know yeah uh, but then it's like a stock thing i mean they'll have that on on stock you know initially you'll get a big push you know, with a lot of people buying it, even though they've already got the albums anyway. Um, and then that will be, you know, that will still be in their stock and be selling over time, you know, be sitting on the shelf, but over time... The, it'll trickle. It'll, it'll trickle, yeah. And did you, as a band, I mean, you know, you're huge in the UK. What mm. was Europe? And did you have any success in America? The only success we had in America was the B side to People Like You makes you blind, which was a every nobody thought it was us at all, didn't think it was us at all, um, and that what got to number ninety five in right. the American charts. It was only the reason it being because the Bell Bell Records over there were too late in releasing it. They should have released it a little bit a bit sooner, but. Uh, by the time they released it, it had gone in and gone out again. So um, yes, that was the only success. There. I mean, yeah, yeah, we. I mean, we were touring all, all the other countries. You know, sort of Germany and uh, and a few other places. It, Australia was very good for us. They they were great. Uh, we did Australia about seven times, and I think New Zealand twice. Right. Uh, yeah. Yes. So yeah, we were we were worldwide. <laughs> we were definitely worldwide. Well, look, thank you ever so much, John. Sorry about. Pause halfway through with a phone call. Uh, um, 
That's showbiz, isn't it? But um, yeah, thanks. And, and like I said, you know, I always, you know, I've got hugely fondly, fond memories because you, oh. you were sort of the age, you know, you were the, the anthem of my, my childhood in the early oh. 70s. That's nice. <laughs> yes, well, you know, they were just, I still put it on and think, God, they are great songs. So right. I'm glad that you, you're still rocking and rolling and um, yeah. hopefully yeah. catch the band live because you do vocals now, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been lumbered with the whole thing now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, look, have a great day and thanks again yeah. for your time. Okay. That's all right, Dave. Take care. Okay. You too. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was me in conversation with John Springate. I always love to leave the last bit in because it's a bit us, more me fumbling around trying to say, trying to round it up. And um, yes, it makes me smile and cringe in equal measures. Anyway, or measure. That was me in a conversation, I probably said this, with John Springate from the Glitter Band, the bassist and also vocalist. They have got a new triple CD out on Cherry Red Records. And um, you'll find more information if you Google the, cheer, uh, the glitter band and also I do believe that John Springate has his own uh, website so check it out it will impress if you want to contact me for some exciting and nice reasons you can for um, via Facebook Twitter Instagram do C86 show and also all these interviews have been archived on Spotify iTunes and Podbean it's true anyway have a great week and stay safe <laughs>